Hey guys, welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today, today's co-host, as usual, is Kurt. <laughs> We're doing a podcast today. It's actually an emergency kind of podcast because it's been the most requested podcast, I think, ever since we started starting this podcast. But we have a, a lot of requests coming in to do a podcast on the hurricanes and how people can prepare for the hurricanes that have been happening. And obviously, in hurricane season, are more frequently going to happen. And... You know, we had the tragedy in, in Texas where Hurricane Harvey right. affected Houston with uh, torrential floods that, you know, basically shut that place down. And it's, one, it's probably going to be one of the highest recorded disasters financially yeah. um, to the country. And now we have Hurricane Irma uh-huh. that is on its way to Florida and should be there in a few days making landfall Saturday or Sunday as a Cat 5, which is right now according to weather resources, is the most powerful hurricane ever recorded in, ever the, Atlantic. Recorded in the Atlantic in history. Right. Which is insane. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, it's completely insane. So, you know, the first thing we're going to do is is talk about disaster preparation and how and what you could do leading up to this storm or any storm that you, you're going to be faced this season when it comes to hurricanes. The first thing you need to do is kind of like define categorically what hurricanes are in categories because we hear a lot of talk about hey it's a cat one cat two well what does that mean well this is a cat five now right so yeah. you want to tell the, the listeners what a cat five is yeah so basically uh as defined by nasa.gov a category five is winds in excess of 157 uh, miles per hour and then similar or close to the speed of of high speed trains essentially <laughs> Has there ever been a Cat Six? I, I, I don't. I don't. Even... I don't think so. I, I'm not 100 percent on that, but I don't. I, I was listening to the Weather Channel the other night, and uh, they were talking about obviously the storm and the devastation it's caused across the Caribbean, and uh, you know the track and all the models and and where it's going to potentially hit. And um, they were debating sixes and fives, and there's not even a six on the .gov scale. So, yeah. And I, I remember seeing on Sea State's uh, account on Instagram where it had sustained winds up to 180 Five. miles an hour. Yeah, it was 85. like 185. Dude, that's insane. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think. And then we were watching a, uh, a report uh, that, and I forget which one of the islands it was in, but it was talking about the winds were so strong that it was picking up cars and sea land containers and sending them through the air. Yeah, there's one community. What was the community? It was like 90% of the country. It was like Antigua or yeah, one of the, the one small, of the small islands, islands. Was destroyed. Right. 90%. Already how many deaths today? Uh, I think there were, uh, there's nine recorded. I think it was like uh, eight adults and there was a child that w- that uh, that passed. Yeah, so this, this is a no BS storm right. that's about to slam into Florida. So... We hope you guys enjoy this episode and get something out of it uh, because there's a lot of preparation to do. All right, guys. So the first thing we're talking about is preparation. You know, we've done natural disaster right. preparation podcasts, but nothing specific to hurricanes. We talked to Kevin Folk from Devil Dog Consulting, a good buddy of ours who's a firefighter, his wife's a police officer in Florida, and they've been through this. They've lived this. In fact, Kevin just texted me uh, yesterday. And was talking about that he and his wife are going to be on duty. God bless them because they're they're awesome people. Right. But his wife's a police officer in the same county that he's a 
a firefighter, you know, 20 plus year firefighter. Right. You know, he's a former force recon dude. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, going from force recon to firefighting. We bust his chops a little bit. Yeah. He was like an admin clerk in the Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah. um, no, he was a firefighter in the Marine Corps, which is, which is admirable. And now he's doing it for his community, which is also admirable. And so, you know, his podcast is also for him, but he, he's given us some, some good input. You know, we've talked about some natural disaster processes in that episode of the podcast, but we want to narrow the focus down to disaster preparation for a hurricane. Right. You know, the first thing that comes to mind when preparing, because, you know, I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida, and Volusia County, which is right, obviously, on the coast, the central uh, coast of, of Florida on the Atlantic side, and have been affected by hurricanes. The first thing you need to do is is, is actually uh, – I just got contacted a DM today from a guy who's in Florida who's literally at the store asking me which radios to get. So the first thing you need to do is you need to go to the store yeah. and you need to get your supplies up. Yeah. Me and Kurt kind of talked about it today, but the first thing you need to consider is leaving your house boarded up, right? taking your viable possessions that, that you need and, 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 leaving that behind and getting out because the best safety is not displacing yourself from the situation. Right. Why? And interesting points about that is uh, we watched Harvey in Houston and, you know, unfortunately, whether because people didn't have the means to leave or, you know, they just were like, I'm riding this storm out or they didn't understand the, uh, the depth uh, or the dangerousness, if you will, of the storm, you know, they stayed. And then we saw, you know, thousands of rescues with helos or, um, you know, these vehicles that are able to travel through high water, or whatever, you know, mode of transportation it took to rescue people. And the first thing I, I thought to myself was, you know, if I knew that a storm like that was coming, material stuff doesn't mean anything to me. My, my wife and my kids are what's important to me in my life. And I would probably, you know, was thinking about what, what would I do? And I'm not trying to armchair quarterback this, but just being real is like, Hey, you know what? We can rebuild the house. We can get more clothes. We can do whatever it takes. But the one thing I can't get back is our lives. Um, and so, you know, the first thing I would look at is, is it really worth staying? You know the answer to that is no, it's not because it's not worth the risk, like you said, to right. the people's lives that you uh, you love. So yeah, try to displace yourself from that situation and get the hell out of Florida. I mean, hell, you could live in your car at a rest stop during the storm and ride it out and drive your ass back home. Yeah, um, but that's better than trying to ride out a Category Five, which is historically, since this has been recorded, right, the largest storm ever recorded. The strong, yeah, the strongest storm in the Atlantic that's ever been recorded. So I, the other thing that kind of it, it bugged me a little bit today, but I was doing what I do on social media, and I was you know liking people. You were trolling. I was trolling. Um, no, but I you know C State had actually posted some decent content, you know, giving good advice, telling people to leave, and we concur with that, you know, because it is smart. And, I, and then I looked at a bunch of the comments just because I, I wanted to see what people were saying, you know, and there were people from Florida and they were like, you know, we'll take it on the chin and blah, 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 and all this tough guy talk. And I'm like, are you really, you know, willing to risk your life or your family's life and hang out during the storm? Or you could drive north, you know what I mean? And get out of uh, the danger area, if you will, and, and be safe. I mean, yeah. 
Mother you, Nature will, yeah. will take that and, you know ego and shove it up your ass. Yeah, right. And then the illustration or the the example is when uh, Mike and I, you know, watched the aftermath, a report of one of the uh, the islands that was hit. And there was a female reporter on there, and she was saying that the wind was so strong that it literally picked cars up off the ground, tossed them through the air in sea land containers. I don't know if you've ever seen a fucking sea land container, but if you get hit by a sea land container, you're going to get splatted like a fly on the wall. If we haven't harped on it enough, you need to leave. (laughs) (laughs) That's the end of episode. Um, Let's say you're going to write it out. You know, a common thing, obviously, in Florida is boarding up your windows you know most structures in florida can handle a hurricane because they've been through hurricanes and sustained winds but when you're looking at cat 5 of 180 185 miles an hour hour, which is more than a cat 5 recording so anything above what we just told you is a cat 5 a plywood board over a window is going to be a projectile right that's either going to be launched through your window or launched down the street through somebody else's window look if you're going to write it out this is this is episodes for you, and this is some things that considerations that we're going to talk about. I kind of break down uh, survival in any sense, especially in a natural disaster, based off of our Philcraft survival kit on based on the staples of survival. Right. You know, the first thing is in this kind of storm, you need to understand that you're not going to have access to water. I, I would write that off. You're going to have access to water. You're just not going to have access to clean water. So, what are some things you could do? Number one. If you have bathtubs in the house, you need to fill up the bathtubs. If you have the the ability to source water and contain it, whether it's going to the store and buying a gallon of water, gallons of water, or going to, you know, getting 55-gallon drums and filling them up to store water, you need to store water and have that on hand. If you have water, you need to be able to retain it, right? You need containers to retain it. Look, it takes about healthy adult male has to have about five to seven liters of water to be able to survive. In two to three days for a, a healthy uh, male, you start to shut down. You know, you, you'll lose that much water in that short period of time. Your organs will shut down. You'll go into shock. I mean, it's there's a lot of things that will compound themselves. In Florida, being that it's a storm, being that water is plentiful in Florida, you're probably not gonna have issue finding the water but you have to think about containing it and then purifying it. You know, a, a simple method to purify water, like for example, in your bathtub, is adding Clorox bleach. If you add a, a cap full of Clorox bleach to a, a gallon of water, you could purify a gallon of water. Right. It, it's it's going to taste like crap, but it's going to be purified of all the things that will, can, will give you uh, the belly aches and cause giardia and cause you to get even more dehydrated because you're pooping your pants. Another thing you could do is go out and actually buy uh, potable aqua chlorine dioxide water purification tablets or iodine tablets. REI, Walmart, all these stores are going to have these things. Buy a container of bleach. That, you know, people aren't running to Walmart to, to take Clorox off the shelves. There's going to be plentiful amounts of that, but that's a, a good purifier of water so you could survive. Because look, the worst case scenario is what we're talking about here. You get into a situation where you decide to hold what you got. You're potentially putting yourself at risk, but you're already in it. Now you're waiting on emergency ser- emergency services and waiting on emergency services. They're not delivering water to you when you're stranded on your rooftop or in your house because the area is flooded. 
So if you be want to be self-sufficient, you gotta you gotta think about these things. The next thing to consider is hey, do you have the ability to protect yourself from the elements? Being it's Florida, being it's the South, being it's summer, you're probably not gonna have a a difficult time maintaining your, your core body temperature, but it's a possibility. Because if you're dehydrated, if you're not properly fed, if you're exposed to water, which you will be exposed to because of the flood, um, because of the rain, you're going to lower your core body temperature. You're going to be wet. And so you have to have the ability to stay warm. One simple and cheap way is to buy wool blankets. Wool blankets aren't waterproof, but they're one of the, the best things in a dry environment to keep you warm. Hell, I've had wool blankets keep me warm and soaking wet um, because it's actually maintaining the body temp your body temperature. Mylar space blankets, right? Mm -hmm. Soul makes them. Sol makes them. We use, that's the ones we sew in our in our Philcraft survival kit. And soul blankets are great for retaining your body temperature. Right. They're they're the one things that uh, emergency services actually use when you have a bl a bleed. You know, if you have a bleed and and you start to lose blood in your body, your body core temperature is reduced, which can lead to shock. If that happens, you're compiling a whole bunch of issues that potentially could take you down, what do they call it? The circle, the drain hole, the cornhole? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Don't get taken down the cornhole. Yeah. But that can compound themselves and make you potentially a, uh, a victim. So, uh, fire. You want to talk fire? Yeah. So, obviously, uh, if power goes out, you don't have the ability, uh, you know, to do all these different things. Why we talk about purifying water, but if you've got fire, uh, you may have the ability to purify water, right? Because if we boil it for long enough, so if you boil it long enough, um, you can purify that water. So we have a magnesium rod with a scraper inside of the survival kit, just an example of something that you could have on hand, uh, where you go ahead and scrape the rod into some dry tinder. Um, which would allow you to make a fire and obviously use it for a lot of different things, right? Signaling, cooking, or purifying water if you've got a right type of a container to put the water in to boil it. Yeah, you need to, one of the, one of the fundamentals of obviously starting a fire is you need tinder. Obviously in a hurricane, you're not gonna have the ability to do that because everything's wet. Yeah. So to, thinking in advance when you're looking at fire, you need to take Ziploc bags of dry material even firewood. I know, you know, there's plentiful amounts of wood. You can go to get fire logs. Who's going to be looking for fire logs in a in a natural disaster? Not many people. Right. Get smart. Get fire logs. Have a have a a uh, a cache of fire logs, even fire starter logs. Get some propane, get some lighting fluid, like just like you're doing a barbecue and get that stuff prepared and keep it dry and out of the elements in, in order to make a fire. Because, yeah, like Kurt said, it might just not be to keep you warm in that certain environment because you're in the middle of Florida or you're in the middle of the south in the summertime. It could be to signal. It could be, hell, it could be for morale. Right. But more importantly, if, if you have pots, you have pans, you have the ability to boil a large amount of water and, and cook food, which is, is highly important in survival. I mean, food, you can go 30 days, recorded cases of months without food. But water is, is imperative and fire 
as, as a part of that. You know, if you're using a flint rod in a survival situation with a hurricane, uh, you're in a bad situation. Get big lighters. That's your primary. Tons of big lighters, tons of tinder, tons of things to burn. But a fire starter is the contingency to all that. Right. Moving on, in the realm of signal, Kurt was talking about starting a fire. Look, if you have the ability to make a fire and it's nighttime, it's a fire, people are going to see it. Emergency services will see that. But you have to think outside the box. You know, you might have to pull down uh, trees and get them hot to be able to smolder, to get a fire or flame going that could be seen at night. During the daytime, green foliage or anything really, any vegetation that's burned is going to billow smoke. Right. And that's an important indicator uh, for emergency services that, hey, they might be going to fight the fire. But obviously in that, they're going to locate you to be able to save your life which is an important aspect because don't depend on the communication grid for being there. Right. You know, electricity goes down, towers go down, the GSM network, CDMA, all these high-speed phones, internet, everything else is going down. One of the, uh, you know, to digress for a second, one of the questions that I got from a direct message was from a guy in Florida and he got RF radios. You want RF-based radios that you can communicate line of sight. Meaning, if you could see them, generally speaking, you can communicate to them. This particular set was a uh, RF model based walkie-talkie set that you can communicate up to 23 miles. That's plenty of distance. In Florida, there's not a lot of elevation. So you have to be able to see them almost to communicate to them because structures and terrain is going to impede the ability of that those radio frequencies of being tra- or transponding that communi- communication. In the realm of signal... You need to think about day and night. You know, one of the things that we have in the survival kit is a Petzl headlamp. This Petzl headlamp is a headlamp that is designed to have LEDs that flash with white light, but also red light. You know, in the military, we use red lights to reduce our overall signature so we could not give away our position. But in uh, a low light environment, you don't want to lose your night vision by using a bright LED light. That would be more so used for signal. You would use a passive lower signature red light in order to do minuscule tasks. Think about that though. So a store of batteries, a store of headlamps, of flashlights, period, are good uses for just navigating through an environment where you're going to lose power. Guaranteed the power grid is going to be shut down for a period of time where you live. 180 plus mile an hour winds, every telephone pole in that area is not designed to sustain 135 mile an hour winds or 85 mile an hour winds. And so you're not going to have power. Nighttime signal, you know, we talk about the buzzsaw. You want to talk buzzsaw a little bit? In the military, we used to do something called a a chem light bundle. um, And we do what's called a buzzsaw. And essentially it's taking uh, a piece of what we called 550 cord, which is like a string. And you would put these chem lights on the end uh, of this 550 cord string, all right, that I'll just break it down an easy way. And you were able to crack uh, the chem light and you could spin these chem lights in the air on string to use it as a signaling device. Yeah, and these and these things, you know, we call it a bus saw, right? You said bus saw. Yeah. These bus saws can be seen for a long way away because they create this stream of light that looks like a big circle right. from a long distance. 
to get creative, you know, like even the Petzl headlamp that we use, which is my favorite headlamp because it's it's lightweight. It's called the E Light. Yeah. Um, that's in our Philcraft kits. You could swing it on its own lanyard that's that's in it, which is retractable, and create a buzz saw. And that's really important to be able to create that signature because you can't do it with anything else. Because if you're using a regular flashlight, it only goes so far. It only can be seen a certain distance. Daylight signals. Kurtz used it in combat and during the invasion of Iraq, but he's actually used a signal mirror to signal. I've done it in training and signaled aircraft from miles away. A standard little mirror, a signal mirror, which is in the Philcraft Survival Kit, is perfect for communicating with... Search and rescue, actually in well, it's Texas. A, yeah, it's a good point, right? Yeah. Because the, the you had pararescue jumpers, you had military personnel, military aircraft, because it was declared obviously a federal state you, of emergency. Yeah, yeah. Sta yeah, federal emergency. And if this thing is a Cat Five when it makes landfall in Florida, um, I have no doubt in my mind that uh, you know, Eglin Air Force Base, right? I mean, resources. Yeah, all these resources are going to get pushed uh, to help rescue people. And, you know, a, a, again, a, a good example of using a signal mirror is uh, military pilots are trained to look for that kind of stuff. Um, and they'll know uh, based off of the situation at hand, especially when people are climbing up onto their roofs, you know, uh, just like in Hurricane Harvey. And they're trying to signal people to get them off because the flood, you know, the water's rising and they and people couldn't get out of there. Um, they'll be looking for stuff like that. They'll be looking for you to signal Another thing to consider is is maybe having a bright pair of clothes that you wear. And I know it sounds kind of cheesy and funny, but the, the application there, when I was on a mountaineering team in Special Forces, anytime we did, uh, you know, a, a movement where there was the potential for avalanche or something like that, there's a reason why these companies make uh, weird bright colors on their boots and their clothes, right? Because if an avalanche happens, and uh, the only thing somebody can see is your arm hanging up with this bright red jacket on. Hey, that's something to see. Well, um, a practical example of that is maybe you have uh, a contrasting T-shirt on with the color of your rooftop or something. Maybe. I don't know. The back of our sole space blanket is actually fluorescent orange with a uh, tin a reflective side on the other side. Right. We use uses a big signaling device. Yeah, we use VS seventeen panels in the military, which again, like Kurt said, it could be just uh, bright uh, clothing. But when you're on a rooftop uh, with a plan to get high, which is a consideration as well, not the the weed kind. Yeah. <laughs> um, we mean high on the building, yeah. not get yeah. high. Being in Colorado, we, we that's often <laughs> on our mind. But yeah, get getting high ground and then being able to signal. And remember, like Kurt said, a lot of these resources that are coming out are often military style right. tra and trained rescuers who are looking for specific things, including standard like SOS right. um, or white anything that's attached that's signaling that, hey, there's people in here. So it's not stupid to think that you spell out, which happens. I've actually seen it in uh, natural disasters spelling out SOS on rooftops or, you know, specifically trying to signal people with fires in the middle of neighborhoods uh, to get combat search and rescue. So, so be prepared for that. Most definitely on the, on the subject of VS 17, don't just source Walmart and uh, you know, CVS as potential places to get product. 
because that's where everybody else is going. Yeah. Think about uh, Army surplus stores. Right. You know, VS-17, me and Kurt used to wear VS-17 panels in our patrol caps because you could see a VS-17 panel from miles away. If you can get a large piece of VS-17 or fluorescent panel, that is a huge indicator from a long way away that something's happening or that right. somebody's in distress. Yep. So always think about uh, those considerations. Camo. Camo is a an imperative for, for uh, I mean, not only just a period for just communications, for stuff outside of like, you know, shit's gone wrong, but also in the event that you need to communicate with emergency services. Remember, when the grid goes down, most radios are powered by batteries. And so if you have an RF radio, let's say you have a walkie-talkie that's on a certain band or channel, you could communicate to emergency services because that's the radios they're running. We, we talked to Kevin about this. Right. Those guys are running RF frequencies or bands. And if you have a scanner, which I think is important to have, um, you could also have a walkie-talkie where you can communicate to, to law enforcement. Right. And working off something that's that ha that takes batteries. So batteries are important, obviously. Yep. Uh, Walkie-talkies that work on RF or UHF or VHF are important to have. And a surplus of those batteries to sustain you for the long haul right. are certainly important. Yeah. One of the other things, you know, that I'm thinking about and, and you know, when we're, when we're doing this, we literally have a survival kit out right now and we're like going over everything and like really trying to pick through this and give people good information. And, and I'm actually holding right now um, one of the little bags that we put inside of our minimalist survival kit that's got, you know, meds, basic meds, Advil, you know, there's, uh, there's some band-aids in there. There's, um, there's sunscreen. And, um, one of the things that that makes me think about is people that, uh, take medication, right? Because if you're stranded for a long time, That's a good point. yeah, you've got to have your meds, right? So one of the things we were looking at today was these mandatory evacuations on the, uh, the Southern part of Florida, uh, for disabled people and people that are, you know, uh, that need extensive care to be taken care of. Well, you know, even if you're taking a, you know, an antibiotic or any of these things, right, you need to put these things in a certain area where you've got them, because if you're stranded for a certain amount of time and you're depending on a medication for your well-being, you need to have that in a safe place. Um, and, you know, looking at the survival kit, you know, this episode is not about pushing our minimalist survival kit, but we did a fantastic job with going through this thing um, and having the staples of survival. So, you know, even in a situation like this, we fall back on opening up the survival kit and actually going through it and talking about the different things, right, that we have in there that are used for fire, signal, med, um, note-taking material, water, uh, procurement, all that stuff, purification, everything, because these are basics um, and I'm not talking down, especially you folks that live in Florida. Um, a lot of you guys are pretty educated about hurricanes and you know this. Um, but this is stuff that everybody needs to know to be prepared for a natural disaster. Yeah, it's good, real good information because, you know, it, we think about it when we deploy. We're always thinking about meds in advance and things that would happen. Like, for example, Giardia, every country we go to, every crap hole country we yeah. go to. Purification we, of water is huge. Yeah, and if we if we don't have the antibiotics to help us along the way, uh, it's gonna it's gonna cause and compound a lot of other issues down the road, especially in a long term survival situation like a natural disaster. Right. And you know, basic things. 
you know, what I recommend, because we can go down a rabbit hole and we're not going to do that, but I, what I recommend is you literally take bags, right? And this is, this is some, this is some, uh, you know, makeshift or homemade go bag stuff. You literally take bags that you have in your house. They could be backpacks, they could be suitcases, but you fill these bags with things that are going to help you survive because you have to have the ability to go mobile. Yeah. You have to have the ability when your house collapses because the winds ripped it apart and you survived that. Now, where are you going to go and how are you going to take your stuff with you? Well, none of your material shit is important. Right? That, that, that could all be replaced. What is important is your life and your family's life. Well, if you have pre-stage go bags that have all the stuff that we're talking about, right. then you could literally pick this stuff up and then move, put it in your vehicle and then roll. Yep. So take these bags and then build all the stuff that we're talking about based on what you can carry out in a backpack. Yep. And then you could survive anywhere. You could be with your family living in a tent on the side of the road and you got all the staples and necessities for survival. When we're talking about food, look, food's not a mainstay of survival in these type of situations because it's going to be accessible, but you need to think about that stuff. Right. Um, some of the best food resources that are lightweight and packable are the stuff that we use like by Mountain House. Yep. We don't work for Mountain House. They don't work for us. I'm not we even a dealer for them. don't get paid by Mountain House. I don't give a shit. <laughs> but you can get it at REI. You can get it at Walmart, and it's really good food that can be prepared in, in an instance. Cliff Bars. We live off of Cliff Bars, yeah. right? Because it's a small, compact, nutritional piece of survival kit that you could stow in your bag and you have the best bang for your buck. Kurt mentioned it before, but medical kit. We have entire episodes dedicated to, to medical kit. Yep. The, at a minimum, you don't have time now in Florida to get all this stuff. You know, one thing I am going to do is offer a discount to every Floridian and priority mail for, priority mail shipping to everybody in Florida for these orders because I want you guys to have kits. But tourniquets tourniquets is a staple of survival you can have homemade uh, uh tourniquets but we sell a rat tourniquet that you can get in your hands for 15 bucks and it could save your life if you take a injury in the middle of this place emergency services aren't getting your ass you're right. probably not gonna have the ability to call them you can't reach them on a, on a walkie-talkie you're, you're by yourself or you're with your family you need to stop bleeding address trauma what are you going to use? You're going to use a tourniquet. Yep. A, a rat tourniquet, a rapid application tourniquet uh, can be utilized to stop the bleeding. But if you don't have that, makeshift tourniquets of cloth. We we use cravats. Right. We use the... A stick with a cravat. A stick with a cravat. A cravat can be a, a large... What are they called? The... Uh, the Crips and Bloods use them. <laughs> a bandana. A bandana. <laughs> yeah. You guys know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, I used to be a Crip. The... Uh, <laughs> you could do... Uh, um, bandanas and and tie them around you know high in between the fracture and your heart high up on the appendage if it's your legs it's upper thigh tying it off and tying it down to to stop the movement or travel of blood being lost and then use a stick to bind it down and to uh, make it tighter yeah. you have to compress and stop that bleeding because in a femoral bleed or a bleed that runs through your hips and your legs you could bleed out in a matter of minutes right yeah, it's uh, all good stuff. Um, I think the biggest uh, part of this is preparing prior to. Um, I think you still have time, Florida. Mike said you don't. <laughs> you do. Uh, listen to this podcast. Go get stuff. It doesn't have to be a Fieldcraft Survival Minimalist Survival Kit off offline, but you're running out of time and you need to go get this stuff because it's too late when the shit hits the fan. 
and then all of a sudden you're unprepared and your kid gets hit by something uh, that was flying through the fucking air and they're bleeding out and then you can't do anything. Uh, that's the wrong answer. Yeah. Uh, something I failed to mention was candles. A good friend of mine, uh, Will Harbin, he's he's always a proponent of candles for some reason. He's a weird guy. <laughs> um, but candles absolutely provide a long-term source of light, a little bit of heat, Yeah. but, but of light that could uh, allow you to signal, allow you to move move around. Um, but also it's good for morale, you right. know, in darkness, it is, it creates a lot of anxiety and fear, sure. especially in the middle of this kind of situation. Um, get, make a, you can go to Michael's and buy a kit. If all the candles are sold out at Walmart, which it could be a possibility right now, go to Michael's, get a kit that they sell the wicks, make your own damn candles out of wax and have a long-term solution. A good, a good, uh, idea is to get an ammo can if you have them laying around, which a lot of people do surplus wise. Right. Fill it up with wax, stick wicks in them, and now you get a light source. Gigantic. A gigantic light source that can last months. Right. Hey, we're not, we're gonna cut this one short because we have tons of resources. We want to get this out. There's plenty of podcasts on natural disaster that we've done on medical treatment of trauma that you could listen to on survival period. We wish you guys the best in Florida, yep. uh, and we hope there's lessons learned of people being getting through situations and being survivalist through that. Certainly, it's going to be tragic. Certainly, there's going to be a lot of recovery. But like we said in the beginning of this podcast, the best solution for this situation right now is to pack your family up, pack yourself up, pack your possessions, your animals, and uh, and, and get the hell out of Florida. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, Till next time. Stay alert. Stay alive.